Hey there! Before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in to the Kuhau Podcast. We hope it encourages you and draws you closer to Jesus as you listen. Let's get excited for this message and let's get ready to hear from God. Today we are in part two and um, we're going to pick up at verse 11. And here's what it says. It says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I love that right there. He says, listen, what I preached to you doesn't come from human origin. It does not come from mankind. It doesn't come from man. This is the gospel. It comes and it says, I received it not of man. It was not taught. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my precious way of life in Judaism, of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Watch this. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, I love that because I don't know about you, but I've had a but when God moment. Is anybody in this place that's ever had maybe a small version of a but when God moment in their life? That maybe you were headed somewhere, but when God showed up. That maybe you were struggling with your finances, but when God... Is anybody here who had a but when God moment? It says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by the grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went to Arabia. In other words, what Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter, he, he spent some time in seclusion. He said, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm experiencing this radical internal change. I don't know what's happening, but I know I need to, to, to spend some time in seclusion. He goes, but I went to Arabia. Later, I went to Damascus. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. In other words, there comes a times once you have that encounter with Jesus that you need mentorship. That comes, you need affirmation. You need to connect to community. And I saw none of the apostles there, only James and Cephas, the Lord's brother, James. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Verse 21. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They, heard all, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And this is kind of like my favorite part. It says, the, it says, and they praise God because of me. I love this because, I don't know about you, you know how you have these beautiful things that you have on your tombstone. Man, let it be said about those that have faith in Christ that somebody else praised God because you existed. Amen? Amen? I'll, I'll wait for you. Are we serving coffee today? Are we? Because we need coffee today. Can someone help me preach today? All right. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just 
as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. My title to today's message is simply this. Look at the person next to you, the person six feet apart, which we don't have to do that. By the way, you can sit next to people until you smell their breath. That's okay right now. Okay, the, God, the message that I'm preaching to you is the gospel, the best news on the planet. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them the gospel, the best news on the planet. Would you help me pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for these precious moments that we have together, Lord God. Thank you that you are here that you are speaking, Lord, less of me, more of you, until there is none of me in all of you, that I may decrease and you may increase, that your love and strength be perfected in my weakness. Lord, speak to our church today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, give God a shout of praise in the house. The gospel, the best news on the planet. How many of you would agree that there are some things that they were just meant to be together? All right? How many would agree? There are just some things that they are meant to be together. Also known as Pastor Rowan, Pastor Lisa. Come on, somebody. Even though we got to pray for her before she leaves because she's leaving me to Florida without my permission. Oh, according to her, she's on assignment from God. But listen, I see that as rejection. I'm just saying. Um, there are some things that are they're just better together. They are, they are supposed to mix together. They are, they're just meant to be together. Pastor Ron, Pastor Lisa, meant to be together. Come on, somebody. All right? Took her 10 years to say that, yes, but I'm here with y'all. All right? I believed it from the jump. Uh, uh, peanut butter and jelly, they're meant to be together. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Peanut butter, peanut butter is good, jelly is good, but peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Listen, I had a stale peanut butter and jelly sandwich yesterday, and it was divine. It was from God. Come on, somebody, right? Until the peanut butter is getting stuck to the roof of your mouth, you ain't never tasted some good peanut butter. I'm just... Peanut butter and jelly. How about cookies and milk? They were meant to be together. Come on. I love when you just let the Oreo drip inside the milk and it disintegrates. You don't know if it's cookie and you don't know if it's milk. You don't know if it's shake or it's a drink, but you know it's divine and it's from heaven because it was meant to be together. Burger and fries meant to be together. You know what I'm saying? Meant to be, meant to be together. And my favorite, here it goes, arroz. Ow! Arroz con gandules. They were meant, like, what is rice without gandules? I'm just saying, like, what is this? Arroz and gandules meant to be together, but how many also of us know that there are some things that ain't, they ain't meant to be together? See, some of you right now are thinking about past relationships. I'm just saying. Some of you right now might be thinking about current relationships, right? Some things are just not meant to be together. There's just some things that don't mix. They were they're not meant to mix. They're not meant to be together. Hey, i.e., oil and vinegar. Guess what? They ain't meant to be together. They just don't mix. How about this? A fork and an electric socket. They are not meant to be together and i don't care what TikTok tells you watermelon and mustard they ain't meant they are not meant to be together anybody know what i'm talking about in this place they're not meant to be together come on stop that silliness now i'm using that as an example and as an illustration because over and over in the book of galatians this is kind of like the pattern that we'll begin to see in the book of galatians 
Because Paul will over and over begin to communicate that there are some things when it comes to salvation are not meant to be together. He, he, he wants to emphatically declare over and over as a pattern. You'll see this pattern and it'll be something like, listen, grace and works don't mix when it comes to salvation. Grace and, the, grace and works don't mix when it comes to your relationship with God as it pertains to your salvation. Guess what? The gospel and the law don't mix when it comes to your salvation. He'll go to the degree to even say something like, listen, if you are trying to earn your salvation by your diligence and your doing in your observance of the law, you are making, you are nullifying the grace of God. He's like, listen, it doesn't mix. They're not meant to be together when it comes to salvation. He says, you have to understand salvation, that salvation by nature has to be something that is a gift from God and you cannot contribute to it one bit. This is a gift from God. Listen, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work for it. It is a gift from God. Can someone say a gift from God in this place? It's not a gift. I'm sorry, it's not a reward, it's a gift. It's not a paycheck for your doing. It's a free gift from God. It's a blessing, not a compensation. It's, 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 it's freely given, not a recompense. This is the good news of the gospel, that it's not a mixture of my goodness plus God's goodness. It's not God goes to work and I'm going to help him out when it comes to my salvation. No, 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 no. It does not mix. The good news of the gospel is that it is totally by Jesus, through Jesus, all consumed with Jesus. This is the good news of the the gospel that grace and works don't mix for your salvation now the grace of God will produce good works but when it comes to your salvation works will never produce your salvation come on if you get the order right listen grace will always produce works but works can never produce salvation and so we jump in we pick up where we left off last week in verse 11 the Apostle Paul he says, I want you to know something. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and, and we have to stop. We have to like, like we can only go like maybe a, about 11 words in and we have to hit the pause button. Because uh, he says, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive from any man, nor was I taught. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. And here's where we got to pause, because we got to pause at the gospel word. Paul says that I received the revelation by Jesus, from Jesus, about Jesus, and it's called the gospel. This is what I preach to you. Now, this word gospel has been used in so many ways throughout church history that oftentimes has communicated everything else except what it was meant to communicate. I want you to lean closely and pay attention clearly. So when you ask people, hey, what is the gospel? They really don't have an answer to what it actually is. Unfortunately, the word gospel has become a kind of religious term that we kind of like put on anything and everything that has to do with church. And so like, so we'll use the word gospel like a religious term just to communicate something in what we'll call today churchianity. 
But oftentimes we don't really have a good picture or a good grasp on what the gospel is. And last week we spoke about it that when it comes to salvation, it's Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. But the message in which we communicate that with is called the gospel. Now this word gospel, in English is the word gospel, but in the original writings in the New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek and in Aramaic. And so in the Greek and the Aramaic, the word gospel is actually this word called euangelion or evangelio. Okay, now this word means, uh, you know, we hear gospel, we don't really grasp that, grasp that in the English language, but the word gospel means glad tidings, or it means good news. Can anybody agree in this place that in the times that we are living in, it's very rarely that we will hear some good news. What this world needs today is not a new president, it's not a new politician, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Can someone give God a shout of praise in this? And so it means the good news and the, or the good announcement. And so in, in history, what you would see is when a new king would um, be pronounced as a new ruler in the land, the heralds or the messengers would go about spreading the gospel or the announcement or the good news that there is a king who has now new rulership over the land. And so this is where this word, euangelion or evangelio, comes from. It's pronouncing the good news of a king. It's making the pronouncement that heralds will go out and they will communicate that, the, that the, the gospel, what's the gospel? That there is a new king in town with new ruleship. That is the, the origin of the word. But then throughout the years, what it started becoming was a superlative that was so fantastic that it was very rarely used because of how amazing it was. In, in other words, this word gospel or evangelio was this word that would communicate something along the lines of this. The news is so good that it's almost too good to be true. Are you following me? The news is so good. Have you ever had something that felt too good to be true? Usually, when something is too good to be true, come on somebody, if you've ever been in a relationship, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When something is too good to be true, it what? It is, right? But this is what the beauty of the gospel is because in the, the word gospel began to be used very rarely because when you use the gospel, when you said gospel, it was communicating something that was nearly too good to be true. And so it was very, it was very rarely um, uh, used because there's very rarely something that is so good that you hear it and it makes you be like, nah, that can't be the truth. That can't, there's just no way. That is too good to be true. And so in ancient Greek literature, you'll see the word gospel appear maybe about two to three times. It, it appears outside the New Testament. So this is not just a word that is used in the New Testament. But it's very rarely used because of the dynamic of the word and how the word became this word that so magnificently communicated something that was amazing and had grandeur behind it. But in the New Testament, you see the word gospel appear over 70 times. And many scholars believe is that because when it comes to what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for humanity, 
perfectly describes this word that is too good, nearly too good to be true news. The gospel is not ordinary news. It's not common news. It's not just, it's not finding out something new about something else. The gospel impression that you have when you encounter it is this. Oh my God, I can't believe that's true. That is so good that I can't even believe that can be true. And so when the Apostle Paul says, listen, Apostle Paul says this in verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you, this is not human origin. This is not normal news. This isn't okay news by man. This isn't, this is the best news on the planet. <laughs> He's saying this is a news so good that it's hard to believe how good it is. And this is why that he also says this elsewhere in Romans chapter 1. In Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1, he says, listen, man, this, this news is not ordinary news. This is not from human uh, intellect. This news is, is from the divine. This news is from Jesus, by Jesus, for Jesus. This is about Jesus. This news is heavenly. This news is too, almost too good to be true news. But in, in Romans, he says it this way, and I kind of like the way he says it in Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. Brothers and sisters, can I say something to you real quick? When you have an understanding of what the gospel is, you understand this very clearly, that the gospel is the power of God. It says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I want you to write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. Write this down. The gospel is the power of God, not the power of man. And when I say man, I'm not talking about agenda, I'm talking about mankind or humanity. If you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, take notes. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Listen, if you're ever going to go, if you're ever going to live free in Christ, you need to understand this. That the gospel is the power of God and not the power of man. And many times we have this misconception of what the gospel is. You'll ask somebody, hey, what's the gospel? And, and they won't re really be able to articulate this. And this is why I want to spend some time teaching on what the gospel actually is. I, I would like it to be said that if no one knows what the gospel is, at least who how knows what the gospel is. Can someone say amen? And so um, Paul says, hey, the gospel is the power of God. But you ask people maybe today and they'll ask them, hey, what's the gospel? And they'll say something, well, the gospel is the scriptures. And now I need you to understand that the scriptures are important and the, the scriptures are true, but the scriptures in its entirety are not the gospel. It's important for us to understand. Oh, we'll say things like, oh, you know what, the gospel, I'm preaching the gospel. Why? Because I'm preaching everything Jesus said. Let's be clear. I want to be clear. Again, when you're understanding what the gospel is, because this is what Paul says, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. And so if I need to understand what the power, I need to understand the gospel to know and experience the power of God. Does that make sense? And so, and so when, you have, um, uh, ask, when you have these moments where you are asking people, they'll say, oh, well, it's everything Jesus said. No, no, because things that Jesus said was in context. And many times Jesus said things to a group of people that he was trying to reach at the time, which were people who were under the law. So everything Jesus said, though it may be true, though it may be great, everything Jesus said was not the gospel. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, I know there might be some religious folk watching online because we don't have them at Kuh. I'm just saying they might be watching online and be like, how dare Pastor Rowe talk about Jesus that way? No, listen to me. I love Jesus too, okay? I got the fish in the back of my car. I'm just... 
Okay? Now, the gospel is not the red letters. Every, every, I love the red letters of Jesus. I love the red, the red letter Bible. But everything Jesus said was not the gospel. You, you might say, well, the gospel, you know, you have to, when you preach the gospel, you got to give an invitation to people to escape hell. Let me tell you something about the gospel. In the inclusion of the gospel, it has nothing to do with you escaping hell. Let's go back here. Well, we got to preach. If you, how could you preach the gospel without preaching the wrath of God? Listen to me, Christ Uncensored. When we understand the gospel and that the gospel is just this good news. You have to understand that inclusion, it's articulated in the scriptures, that in the inclusion of the gospel, it does not include preaching the wrath of God. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have wrath. It doesn't mean that we can't talk and teach about those things. And, and it doesn't even mean that those things are not important. Those things are important. Uh, it doesn't, it, the gospel, uh, some people will say, well, it's appealing to people to live holy. No, it's important for you to live holy. But the gospel doesn't include you living holy. Now, this doesn't mean that you should go and live unholy. You still have to deal with your own consequences, right? Come on, somebody, right? God will forgive you, but you have to deal with your own consequences. So that's not the gospel. Now, again, I want to articulate this because the gospel is the power of God. So if we have a wrong perception of what the gospel is, then when we go to depend on the power of God, if our, if our perception of the gospel has been perverted, then the power of God that we try to rely on may be fabricated. I'm waiting for more amens. I'll be, I'll be here all day. Amen. Hey, come on, somebody. Now I'm ready to preach the gospel. Thank you, Jasmine. I appreciate that. And so all of these things may be true, but they may not be the gospel. Now, what did Paul say? Paul says that it's the power of God. You know today is it's, not, it's the power of God, not the power of man. This is important because when you rely on the power of God, it's relying on the power of God, not on your self-effort, not on your devotion, not on your dedication, not on your merit, none of that. It is the power of God. And look what the Apostle, the Apostle Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he outlines for us what the gospel is. He says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the, everybody say it? That's four people, come on. Everybody say, I heard them online. Everybody say it. The. Come on. We in the right church today. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. And he says, now this gospel is the one that was preached to me. This is the gospel that I received and on which you have taken your stand. Now that's important, right? Because if I've taken stand on a shaky foundation, then my life will also be shaky as a consequence of the foundation that I stand on. Does that make sense? But if I take a stand on a solid foundation, According to the Bible, the Bible says that the storms will come, that the winds will come, that the floods will come, but you will not fall apart because you are, so, you are standing on solid ground. He says, on which you have taken a stand by this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Now, here it is. Otherwise... You have believed in vain for what I've received. Here it goes. I've received this gospel. Now look, but I pass it on to you as of what? First importance. What does that mean? That there is nothing more important than what he's about to say in these precious moments. Are you following me? Okay. I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that what? That Christ died for your sins 
according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So what is he saying is of first importance? It's the gospel. And what is he saying that the gospel is? He goes on to say, and then God, and then Jesus showed up to you. He goes, he showed up to a few of his disciples. This is the gospel, my friends. The gospel is found in the cross of Calvary and in the empty tomb. <laughs> and so when you have a solid foundation, you need to understand that the gospel by which you stand on is, is, is the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. You want to know where power is for your healing? It's found in the cross of Calvary and an empty tomb. You want to know where you have the authority? It's found in the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. You want to know where you have the power to declare things as those, as that things that are, are as things that, come on, work with me, bro, work with me. Things that you want to declare things that are not as though they are, it's found in the gospel. It's found in between the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. I'm good. Thank you, brother. Woo! Let's see if I can get through that whole message like this. Paul gives us the gospel. He says, your salvation is accomplished from start to finish in faith in Jesus, which is that he lived, he died for your sins, he, raised, he was raised to give you life, and he appeared to you as a gift. That is the gospel. You ever wonder why the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel that was being preached wasn't a popular message. I love it when people are like, oh, you just preach a po popular message of God's grace. But in the context of the scriptures, you know that the grace of God wasn't the popular message. I love it when people are like, you know, you know these pastors that are, they're, they're just sugarcoating the gospel. No, 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 no. We're preaching the unadulterated gospel, which means there's no added preservatives. Come on, somebody. There's no added religion. There's no added rules. There's no added ideologies. It is the complete unadulterated, completely filled with the Holy Spirit gospel, which is that Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ resurrected, and Jesus Christ came and appeared to you. Paul says, I'm not ashamed to tell people that God loves them. I'm not ashamed to tell people that God has grace for them. That I'm not ashamed to tell people that God loves them in spite of who they are. That God loves them no matter what they've done in their past. I'm not ashamed. See, this wasn't a popular message because according to the ancient uh, uh, Jewish belief, it was like God will love you only if. But Paul says, listen, I'm not ashamed to tell people that God loves them no matter what. I'm not, this is the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who? To anyone that believes in him. Come on, somebody, give God a shout of praise. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God, not the power of man. And Paul says, listen, the gospel is the power of God, and you don't take any part in it when it comes to your salvation. And this group of Galatians, what began to happen is that they weren't renouncing their salvation. And they weren't re renouncing their belief in Jesus. 
but they begin to subscribe to a notion that it's Jesus plus something else. They began to subscribe to this notion that, yes, I know I believe in Jesus. I know I love Jesus. I know, but I need to contribute to this as well. And like we said, I want to make the distinction. It's not that grace of God, the grace of God doesn't produce good works. It does. It naturally does. Because when you have encountered the grace of God, you have encountered Jesus, and Jesus produces good works in you. But the works of man will never produce the grace of God. And Paul says, listen, church, any kind of condition and stipulation that, that is put before humanity as a prerequisite to obtain salvation is not the gospel. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And, and I know we read that and we just think that that's salvation from sin or salvation from our past. But this word salvation is actually the word sozo. And I love that word. I, I like, like if I had another kid, I'd name her sozo. Like if I had, a, and I'm just saying, right? I'd name her sozo. Because I just love that word. It's this, it's this word that communicates not only salvation from sin, or, or we think our salvation is God forgive me for my sins. I'm no longer going to hell. I'm going to spend eternity. Listen, that's just, if you're just living on that, that's just a portion of your salvation. When you talk about sozo in the Greek, it's, it's actually communicating a salvation package. Come on, somebody. Anybody had a great deal? It's a salvation package. You ever got a three for one? This is a salvation package. It's not only the forgiveness of sin. Sozo is this. It's saying this. Is, is this, and it's the power of God until sozo. It is the evangelio unto sozo, which means this, that if you want healing, it's found in the gospel. If you want prosperity, it comes with the gospel. If you want your marriage restored, it comes in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're seeking other things. You're seeking um, uh, other methods, but this is what the apostle Paul is saying. No, it's part of the package deal. Not only, not only the salvation experience, but the byproduct of what salvation brings. This is the gospel. This is sozo. He goes on to say in verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my previous way of life. In Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age among my own people and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Paul is like, listen, I've been there and I've done that. You, I've been there. Like I know what it is to want to earnestly follow God and do things to earn God's approval and God, God's applause of me. He's like, I've been there, man. He's like, he, he, he says, he says, listen, I've been at the place where, like, I, I, I was exceeding. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he'll say elsewhere. He says, I, I, I've been the best kind of Christian. Man, I tell you, I was, a, I was a follower of the law to the T. Man, I was on point. You know what I mean? Like, you ever had a super, super Christian day? You ever had one of those? Like, anybody ever had a super Christian day where you felt like if you, if you walked on a puddle, like you were going to elevate all of, over the puddle? Like, you ever had one of those Christian days, right? Like, where someone came up to you and they flipped you the bird and you were like, God bless you instead of getting mad. You know what I mean? You ever had 
one of those super Christian days where somebody cut you off and, and instead of you getting mad and chasing them down and honking the horn, you were like, bless me, Jesus, for I am persecuted for my good doings. You ever had one of those super Christian days where you were just elevated every, there was nothing that can take away your peace? He's like, I've been there. I've been there. I've been the super Pharisee. I've been a Pharisee of Pharisees. And this is what I love about Paul because Paul will begin to edify his self-righteous resume only to tear it down with the grace of God. Paul begins to elevate his self-righteous resume. He says, listen, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm telling you, I, was, I, was, I had it going on. I tell you, I was exceeding everybody. This was my self-righteousness. This was my devotion. This was my dedication. And then he tears it down with the grace of God because he's saying this, hey, it pales in comparison to the righteousness that God gives. He said, I, lo I love the way he says it in Philippians. He says, yet if anyone had any reason to hope that he could be saved himself, it would be me. If others could be saved by what they are, certainly I could. For I went through the Jewish initiation ceremony, a.k.a. Snip Snip, when I was eight days old. Having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish home that was a branch of the old original Benjamin family. So I was a real Jew if there ever was one. What's more is that I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest of obedience to every Jewish law and custom. He says in verse 6, Yet I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, here it goes, as for righteousness... I obeyed the law without fault. I only thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Did you see that? Something that he valued so much, he considered it worthless. But why? 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 Because he compared it to something that, something that was infinitely more valuable. Do you want to know, I, I use this example a lot, but I, do you want to know how quickly you can make five million dollars look like five dollars? How can I equate five million dollars to five dollars? I'll tell you real simple, real simple, real simple. Let them tell you that they have your child and they need a five million dollar ransom. I hope that there's no parents here that I had to think twice about it. I'm just saying. It's okay to laugh in church. It's cool how 101 today. I'm helping. Yeah, it's okay to laugh. And so, and so, you want to take $5 million and make it look like $5? Well, just let them tell me that they have my son yoked up somewhere and all they need is $5 million. That $5 million will become worthless to me compared to the infinite value of saving my son. All of a sudden, when something that was so amazing and valuable and could change my life doesn't compare to the value of my son and my daughter. This is what Paul says. Paul says, listen, listen, I once considered it valuable to walk in self-righteousness. I once considered it value to, to, to be legalistic. I once considered value, but it compares, it pales in comparison when it comes to the infinite value. Look how he says it. He says, for, 
For his sake, I have discarded everything, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ. Listen, if you're trying to gain salvation through your own self-effort, you end up losing Christ in the process. But when you discard your own self-effort, the gospel becomes more alive than it's ever been in your life. And as the worship team comes up, I, wanna sh I just want to end it here. Write this down. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God in you. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God in you. The word righteousness is this word of, that, dis, that defines the condition of being made right with God. So according to the Bible, this word righteousness is a very important word because it signifies your right standing with God. To say that you are righteous is to say that I am in right standing with God. To say that I'm walking in righteousness is saying that I'm walking in right standing with God. And Paul concedes that at one point he was trying to do his best to become righteous or become on his own to be made right with God through his self-effort. But then he realized that there was something greater and it was a righteousness that is not from the outside in, but it was a righteousness that was from the inside He says, there's a greater righteousness, you know. It's the righteousness that we need. In fact, Jesus came into the picture and he says, hey, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't even inherit my kingdom. Can you imagine? Can you imagine those who were working hard to be like the Pharisees? You, you want to know who are the people that clung to Jesus the fastest? You want to know who they are? It's the people that already gave up on being righteous on their own. Whew. This is why it was good news. This is why he says, I didn't really come for the Pharisees. I came for the sinner. Because the sinner already knows. Yeah, we gave up on trying to be righteous. Like, I'll never be able to be like the Pharisees. It was only the Pharisees that would become indignant about hearing that. They'd be like, I've spent my whole life trying to become righteous. How do you mean? And then somebody here, like, we got to become like the, the righteousness of the Pharisees is unless it exceeds it. Unless it exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. I'm telling you, you read this with legalistic ear. You read this with, re, with a legalistic mind. I, you'll read it the wrong way. You'll be like, well, I got to become an observer of the law. I got to become more diligent. I got to become more dedicated. I got to become more disciplined. I'm not saying those things don't work in outside earthly things, but in the kingdom, it's all Jesus. You're trying to overcome your addiction. You're trying to do it in your own effort, but you're not doing it through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're like, there's some people, like, you ever, you ever had a struggle, but then you're like, you give up on the struggle because you're like, now 10 years in on this struggle. You know what I mean? 
Like, like, especially if you gave your life to Jesus and you were struggling with something, right? And all of a sudden you felt free. You felt free. You felt like, oh my goodness, there's nothing that can go wrong. That's because at that precise moment you understood the power of God and you completely depended in Christ for your salvation. So you experience the power of God in such a way. And let me tell you, that's, when, that's why you feel free. That's why you feel liberated. That's why you feel like you could climb any mountain. Because you've experienced the power of God. But what ends up happening is this. Then we fall. And then we start relying on our own effort. Because we think it was a handoff. It's like, yeah, I experienced the salvation. But now, i got to start pleasing God. <laughs> And I gotta start doing more, and, and, and I gotta start working harder, and I gotta start, I gotta. And you went from experiencing the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus appearing to you, to your own self effort, to your own dedication, to your own mental descent. Well, maybe I gotta learn more, maybe I gotta study more, maybe I gotta. Now you're five years in, and I'm still struggling with porn. Five years, ten years in, and I'm still struggling with anger. 15 years in and I still make bad decisions. 20 years in and I'm... Could it be that you only relied on the gospel for your salvation, but you didn't rely on it for your transformation? The gospel is the power of God until salvation for anyone who believes. And the gospel... Point number two, it reveals the righteousness of God in you. Man, I'll tell you right now, I ask people all the time, I'm like, hey, what did it take for you to become a sinner? How many sins does it take for you to become a sinner? Often people will say something like, it takes one sin for you to become a sinner. And I tell them, no, it's, it doesn't. You know how many sins it takes for you to become a sinner? Zero. You're like, what do you mean? Like, because the Bible says that because Adam sinned, all men have sinned. In other words, the, you think that you are a sinner because you sin. I'll tell you this. The reason you sin is because you are a sinner. This is, this is where you, I want you to lean in. You were made a sinner. How? Because you were born. How were you a sinner? Because you were born. You were born. Because Adam sinned. According to Romans chapter 5, all became sinners. In fact, it says it this way. It says, sin and death spread to all humanity. It says, without you even, have, even having to sin, you became a sinner. Before the law ever existed, you became a sinner because Adam sinned. Now, this is great because it says that Adam is a shadow of Jesus. In other words, the same way you became a sinner, listen to me, is the same way you So what did I have to do to become a sinner, Anthony? I just had to be born. So what do I need to do to become righteous? I need to be born again. I just need to be born again. And you know how I'm born again? In believing in the gospel. The Bible says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on the cross so that you can become the righteousness of God. Well, what does that mean? How do I become the righteousness of God? The same way that Jesus became sin. Did you hear that? How did Jesus become sin? Oh, he received your sin on the cross. 
How did you become righteous? I received my righteousness at the cross. Oh my God, I wish somebody would catch this in their spirit. The reason I'm made righteous is not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. The gospel reveals that you are righteous in Christ Jesus. Does anybody believe that in this place today that I am the righteousness of God? Listen, it doesn't take faith for you to believe that you are a sinner, but it sure does take faith for you to believe that you are made righteous even when you're messing up, even in your shortcomings. This is the nearly too good to be true news. This is the gospel. This is the grace of God. This is something that when you hear it, I can't believe it. Lord, help me believe in my unbelief that you are this good, that you are this loving, that you are this gracious, that you love us beyond our hurt. You love us beyond our mistakes. You love us beyond our inconsistency. You love us even when we fall. This is the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. So we, for everyone, believe. This is the foundation that we stand on. You know how you, you know how you start experiencing this? I'm going to ask you guys to stand up on your feet. We're done. We're close here. You know how we experience this? By confession. It doesn't take faith for you to believe you're a sinner. Watch this. I bet you I don't need to convince you of that. There's people that have been serving God for 20 years, and I'll be like, you're a sinner. They're like, yeah, I know. It doesn't take faith to believe you're a sinner, but it does take faith for you to believe that you are righteous even when you sin. You know how you know how you know how you experience this 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 righteousness? Confess what God has placed in your heart. Here it goes. This is this. I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. Yeah, let, me, let me tell you, there's sometimes, ah, I get a little emotional just saying this, but there's sometimes that Lisa and I, I know you don't believe it, but we've had heated discussions. And I've reacted in a way that I shouldn't have reacted. And I've been in the shower and I'm just like, I'm the righteousness. Because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will convince the world of their sin. But it says that it will convict the disciples of their righteousness. You know what the Holy Spirit does in your life? He shares with you the gospel over and over and over again. That's what he does. He just reminds you you are forgiven. That's not who you are. That's not how you speak to your wife. That's not who you are. You are the righteousness of God. I know you messed up, but that's not who you are. You're not your mess-ups. You are the righteousness of God. I know you made a mistake, but you're not your mistakes. You are the righteousness of God. I know you've had some setbacks, but you are not your setbacks. You are the righteousness of God. And it's taken faith to believe that. So wherever you are in this place, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Come on, let's pray. Come on, right, right there where you are. Say it, say it with me. Say, I am. Come on, come on, let me let me hear it. Say, I am. Say, I am. I am the righteousness of God. Say you get it. Come on, come on until you believe it. I am the righteousness of God. 
one more time I am the righteousness of God say I am the righteousness of God say it again come on I am the righteousness of God say I am the righteousness of God now give God a shout of praise in this room let him know that he is your all to place your faith in Jesus for the first time I want you to repeat this prayer after me and we're gonna all say it together say dear Jesus, dear Jesus I thank you for my I thank you for your love, I thank you for your love. therefore I give you my life from this day forth I am a new creation because of the gospel because you died for me and you rose again to give me new life in your name we pray amen Amen. Let's give God a shout of praise and let's begin to worship. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in. Subscribe now and stay connected to all of our latest messages. And if this message really blessed you, pass along the blessing by sharing it with a friend. We pray that you will be given the opportunity to apply this message and we hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. God bless.